Welcome to Get Amplified, the podcast for tech industry leaders and aspiring leaders, covering topics from keeping up with the pace of change, staying fulfilled in your role, and looking out for the well-being of your team and yourself. Brought to you by the Amplified Group. As always, we're virtual. I'm home in my little study in Bucks. Uh, Vicky's in deepest, darkest Oxfordshire. Shah has relocated back to her office, which is great news. Um, so Shah, what we're going to cover on today's episode and who have we got to, to chat to us? Today uh, on this episode, we're going to be talking about adapting to change. And we all know that we're seeing a, a lot of change at this precise time. But we're specifically going to be talking about using the principles of design thinking uh, and how that can help. And, and I'm really interested in this topic because I, I kind of was exposed to it when I was at Cranfield University. And I, I, I was really excited about it and, and thought it, it's so logical. It makes so much sense. Why doesn't everybody do it? So um, I and I also thought about the fact that design is really the outcome. But how does that fit with what we do right now when it comes to teams? And it so fits because if design is the outcome, you have to come together as a team to achieve it, right? So that's why I think our guest today, Paul Russell, is so experienced in this area and can really help us get an insight into, you know, the, the whole adapting to change, but also uh, give a better exposure to uh, design thinking. So with that, I think, Vicky, you know Paul a lot more than I do. Uh, I think it's best if you introduce him and just, you know, talk about how you know Paul. Thank you. Um, Paul, <laughs> what can hmm. I say? So wait. <laughs> I have known Paul since I very first started in IT. And I was explaining to Shah earlier, he was one of our most important customers when I worked in distribution. And I was... Um, inside sales support and I remember the account manager that looked after you wouldn't let me talk to you because you were her prized, prized <laughs> customer <laughs> so that is going back oh my goodness 24 years I think so it's been a while so I took Paul to was it Thinergy one yes. of the very first Citrix events when I was hosting as a in distribution so I've known him an awful long time through many different roles and many different jobs um, and now at IBM where I and you you work in the IBM Watson team don't you? I do absolutely I do thank you Vicky yeah I work in the uh, IBM Internet of Things business or might mean something to many people might not be mean anything at all. So could you want us to start with with giving us um, a bit of your um, potted history? Yeah absolutely thanks Vicky yeah so I've I suppose the best way to describe it, I've worked both sides of the fence. I've been a consultant, which is how I knew Vicky. So I've had to sell technology to people. And I've also been a customer where I've had to buy the technology. And that's a totally different mindset because actually you're spending your budget and you've got to deliver an outcome. And I've done that across three sectors. So I uh, worked in the kind of IT sector, which is, again, how I knew Vicky. I've worked in the construction sector, which is incredibly different in terms of challenges they face. And I've also worked in the electronics industry, which is also quite interesting because of what they can do with tech and how innovative they, they can do it. And now I've ended up at IBM. Uh, and my job here is to help our customers translate the value of technology into something that gives them an output. Um, and that's why this subject is so important because change is constant and people are really struggling, I think, in terms of 
is this technology going to give me what I needed, even though it says it will on the box? And, be, and you tell me it is because you're Google or IBM or Amazon or whoever. There are a lot of other things that matter that are really, really important, and I might not quite understand them. So this is why this is such a good su subject to talk about. Seems very appropriate to be discussing, be discussing it at the minute, you know, with everything that's going on in the world, with the, the current pandemic situation. Um, it feels like we're going through more change and more rapid change than ever before, or maybe ever in the future. Is this level of change the new normal? I think so, Sam. Uh, I think, uh, you know, th th there's lots of phrases um, that we talk about. I think the one that I think is uppermost in our mind right now, but probably is already, is what is the question we're trying to answer? Um, and I think organizations are struggling with, it might not be the question we thought it was. So, you know, that mindset challenge is what I think um, people are struggling with. Do I go with what I used to think was the way to solve the problem? Or do I need a different way to approach solving that problem? And that is really at the heart of what design thinking does. And, and, and we do this in our own lives, right? So we look at things. Do I just do what I did last time? Or do I try and do something different? And actually, sometimes we fail to achieve that, lose weight, exercise, whatever it might be. And we struggle with, why did, we, why did that happen? And it's all about how we approach change and how we change our behavior. And that's the heart of design thinking. And that's why lots of customers I talk to are really into this now because um, they see it as a way to just introduce some new thinking to their organization. And it doesn't have to be big companies like IBM. Very, very small companies are actually doing the same thing because it's about human beings. So um, that's why I think it's uh, going to be more and more important moving forward. So what you're saying is perhaps that organizations need to gear up for this way of thinking, not just because of the COVID-19 situation, but because change is the future. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, as a technologist now working for a big company, one of the things that we have to deal with is bias. Uh, and the bias that we have in our working lives and on our personal lives is what really we've been challenged with right now. This is my thinking that I had before. I search for knowledge that confirms that. So the confirmation bias is at the heart of our problems, which is where we all go, yeah, because Sam said this or you know, Vicky said this and because that white paper said that or LinkedIn says that or I saw that on the news, I says that. We follow it and we follow it almost in a blind way because we, we, we believe that's the right thing to do. Now, that's okay, but quite often, we just want to take a pause and challenge our thinking. And organizations are desperate for this type of leadership. Now, of course, everybody thinks they're a challenger. You know, we all think on this call, and I'm sure the audience will think, yeah, but that's me. I challenge everything, and I'm really open-minded about what I do. Sometimes that's not enough. So design thinking is a, is a framework. It's a methodology just to give people a way to go through an iterative process to challenge the bias. And when you do that, it could be dramatically beneficial for an organization. Um, and you're absolutely right. What we're suffering through right now as a world is all about how we challenge our confirmation bias about how we live our lives. And that will be translated into business right now, next week, next month, for the next 10 years, probably forever. So in a way, this is almost just an opportunity to put the right practices in place for what we're going through now, but also for what we might go through next month. 
next quarter, next year. Absolutely. Our organisations are going to go through that same challenge and understanding what is the problem that they have is, is going to be key. And getting your people and the skills and how you approach this is, uh, is really interesting for people. And uh, again, I've said once already, design thinking is an agile way to help people find out how to take this forward. So do you think organisations are properly geared up for when we eventually get back to normal? No, I don't think so. Uh, and I think it's because of lots of things. I mean, fear, uncertainty and doubt is going to be right in our mind yeah. at the moment. Um, so that, that's the first challenge we're going to have. And, you know, how do we dial that back and forth is going to be interesting. You know, the whole remote working is going to be an interesting one when we get back to normal, whatever normal is. Um, so I think companies are really going to have a, a challenge to get back to business as usual. And the ones that will be the most successful I would say, are the ones that have design thinking, those two words, embedded in their processes. Now, of course, if I work for a really agile company that's born in the cloud, they have this design thinking part of their DNA. But most of the companies that we work for, I work for IBM, which is nearly 100 years old, I think, we don't have that. Even though we do have it, we're a 100 years old company. We have lots of history and legacy. So how do you take those organizations and help them through a tremendous agile change that we're going to see right now. I mean, I, we've all watched the news, and I, I suppose the news has accelerated. I mean, it was Brexit, I think, about six months ago. I, I've lost track. Uh, then I think we've had other news events in that time, and we lose track because the context changes so quickly. Yeah, and the focus that everybody's looking at. So Absolutely. what do you think, what do you think um, leadership groups need to do as and when we start to, I don't you know, I say get back to normal, you know, the, the people keep talking about the new normal. It might, it might be a slightly different world, but as things start to come out of, of the panic mode that we're in now, what the leadership groups need to do. Right. Well, I think, you know, I think going back to the, I think at the start is just check some balance and challenge themselves about what is the question they're trying to answer. Um, so that problem solving, which is what they do anyway, just take a view on, are we going to tackle problems in the future the same way? Are we going to follow a confirmation bias because that's what we've always done? Or because things have changed, does that give us a chance to actually take stock and do something different? And, 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 and I, I lose track of how many organizations are doing that right now. But actually, if you go back in history, this has been going for such a long time. So um, you think about how we ended up with... Um, uh, Airbnb, uh, Uber, uh, organizations that we take for granted, they went through a design thinking uh, mindset, but they're new companies. But this example, I think, is really interesting. And, and it's very personal to me right now. We've just bought a new car, um, my wife and I. And my wife really wanted to buy a Volvo. And the reason she wanted to buy a Volvo was um, that her sister had a Volvo. So confirmation bias, right? So this is following you know, things that she'd seen before. And she was looking for reasons to justify that. But as we were talking, we also realized that Volvo are the market leaders in designing cars for women. That for, for, for the whole of the automotive industry did not design cars for women at all. Crash test dummies until recently were in the design of the male form. So the actual airbag positioning and you know, the seating and arrangements weren't designed for the female form. Volvo have led that charge by challenging the confirmation bias, designing the cars for women, and then doing 
a really cool thing was to take all of the data of 40 years of research and sharing it with all of the automotive industry. And the reason they did that is not to gain a competitive advantage, which they are doing anyway, potentially, but to make sure all the cars on the road are safe to drive for men or women. And that is a great real world example of how a design thinking led organization realized one, they had the data, but weren't looking at it properly Two, they had women in their organization, but they never asked them and they readdressed it and they asked themselves, what is the question we're trying to answer? And they reframed it. And design thinking is about reframing it and changing what you do. And I think we've all got a Volvo moments in our organization. The bit for a leadership group, therefore, is how do I find it? And that is what design thinking is about. So, so give us some practical steps. How, how, how do you get into that design thinking mode then? Yeah, okay. So design thinking, the, the best way to start is start, start, in, start small. We're not trying to solve the world's problems right now. So we're looking for an agile, start small um, approach. So whether it's a problem that you already have, that you want to look at it slightly differently. But to get started is to get in the shoes of the person that's going to use your product or is using your service, whether it's your customer or your colleague, and put yourself in their shoes. So it's about understanding the, the empathy of that person. How do they feel when they use your product? How, what do they think when they use your product? What do they say when they use their product? And what do they do? And again, there are examples of products that people are really happy. Look at Apple. Apple really solved this problem. Others made smartphones, didn't have the same success. So empathy is really, really important uh, and listening to people. Then defining what are all the ideas that we could have to solve this problem, completely open-minded, no bias whatsoever, and just throw ideas on the wall. This is not new stuff, right? This is what we've been doing for many, many times. I think it used to be called brainstorming and things like that in the past. The next most important thing, though, is to really understand the person that we're talking about. Not it's a salesperson, not it's an engineer. It's to really get into what is that person's persona and then ideate in a way that you get to a much um, funnel down view of what are the two or three ways we could solve this problem and then build something really quickly. They call it pre-to-typing or prototyping. So pre-to-typing is literally you know, post-it note, drawing out what you think the problem might be and what the solution might be. I've sat with oil and gas executives who have done design thinking to look at problems they were having moving oil from terminals to ships and sat with post-it notes, toilet roll holders, and actually build a prototype solution. So no person is too big to do this. It's getting people on a level set. As you do this, things start to happen. You challenge the bias, which is job one. You look at things differently. Two, you absolutely put yourself in the shoes of the person and their experiences. And three, you fail fast. And I think the world has come to a very fail fast world because of digitization and the demand that we have. Nobody does waterfall projects anymore. We're all into agile sprints and getting things done, built and throwing out. And, and right now, we see things going on the internet that weren't there yesterday that weren't there last week. Next week could be something different. And we thirst for this because we're looking for some edge. So design thinking as a framework takes all of what I've said and allows teams to get started. So anyone who the leadership team wants to approach this new world differently, this is, could be a really good way to uh, kick that off. 
Yeah, and, and Paul, something that I read once and, and it, it definitely resonated with me is, you know, in design thinking stages, it's going to get messy, right? Mm. You know, you're, you're not going to have the answers on day one. So having a leader that allows you to fail and allows for that breathing space for everybody to, to weigh in to the ideas is when you get the best outcome, isn't it? Absolutely. No, absolutely. Completely right. It's, it's, and you know, we've all, we've all seen people who's, who will say, oh, we'll have a design thinking session. Oh, and here's the agenda. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we're not going to have an agenda um, because actually we want to start, you know, in a really open way. And then you see other people say, yeah, let's throw millions of post-it notes on the wall. And that's, that's design thinking. That's not it. That's not the same thing either. It's literally, you know, as you're absolutely right, it's a little bit messy, but having someone who can, uh, control it in a nice empathetic way and actually lead people along, allowing people to speak, to listen to people, take a pause, take a breath, you know, slow down, all these human nature things that we tend not to do. Once you start to do that, you find people look at things differently and some amazing things can come out of this. And they don't have to be hugely expensive solutions as well. They could be some things that are really simple. Can I just give you an example of that from today? So Go for it. One of the yeah. clients that, that we work closely with are looking at what they can do to help with the supply of PPE at the moment, specifically masks. Um, I've got a, a good friend who is a head consultant at, a hospital um, and she is leading A&E so she is right on the front line the company that we're working with is now in touch with her looking at how they can ideate and come up with some quick something quickly to help create those filters that they need for the masks and they are totally in getting in the shoes of what they need and to be able to yes it will get a little bit messy to start with but gosh they have moved so quickly in the last three days it's just incredible but to have that connection with with the real world to to do that it it just it it blew my mind today to be fair yeah it's a great example Vicky. i mean and you think about governments every government simultaneously are going through a huge design thinking exercise some will fail some will learn some will come out of it but we'll all learn a tremendous amount of uh, knowledge about supply chain about communications about uh, the, the change the law everything is almost thrown up in the, in the air and our organizations our customers they, they, they they're a microcosm of that really interesting so is there a, a human-centric part to this thing you know you talked about starting at the I don't know the, the not necessarily the consumer maybe the ultimate most important stakeholder perhaps yeah absolutely sam yeah it is all human centric i mean you know everything you know is is about the human being um and you know whilst a lot of people might say well i already do that um design thinking is about really uh focusing on the empathy the cognitive feelings that person has because when you do that you overcome the bias which we talked about before we don't design things because we think that's the right thing to do we design things because that's what they need uh, as, a, as Vicky said, that's a great example. That's what they need. How do we get that to them? It doesn't have to be elegant. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, super sophisticated. It's just good enough. And there are, there are great examples of, uh, of how, we, how we do this. And I, I've, been some, I've seen some really technology examples that have failed. 
because we've not spent time listening to people. Um, it sounds incredibly simple, and, and that's why it's so important, because things that are simple are, tend to be the things we overlook. And as we go at a 1,000 miles an hour and we digitize everything and we live on our smartphones, we tend to miss the most simple things. Paul, one of the, the examples that you gave me when we were talking a, a week or so ago and it was about making sure that you make that time up front and giving that time. And you were talking about the project in Stockholm. Yeah, so uh, before I joined IBM, uh, Internet of Things was quite a buzzy topic at the time. And so I was quite excited about that. And, and I knew I was going to join IBM. And there was some videos on YouTube. And there was one in about a building in Stockholm where um, my colleagues uh, now had uh, gone into this building. They'd wired it up you know, with lots of great technology and they'd create some great data and it was all very exciting and it was all done in four hours. It was, it was a lot of, a lot of buzz and a lot of activity and the video was really cool. And, uh, that's one of the reasons I joined. Anyway, I got to IBM, actually went to Stockholm and visited this customer and all of the technology was pretty much in a box. Um, so I was quite intrigued and curious to say, why did that happen? Cause this looked like a, it was an amazing thing to do. And they said, yeah, but you know, Stockholm, it's a bit of a problem driving to work, traffic's bad, can't get in the office on time, can't park the car, we're late, we get frustrated, uh, and we don't therefore use the tech. And that was the first time that I'd used design thinking at IBM. And I realized I'd already had this mindset, but actually when you sat down with them in a design thinking workshop, we just put the tech in the wrong place. It wasn't that the tech was wrong, it's just we hadn't listened to them and their problem was not in the building. The problem was getting to work. And Stockholm is like many cities struggling with, with traffic. Um, and actually, if we'd have listened to them, we could have put the text somewhere else. Um, and, you know, IBM was creating this, uh, this uh, almost like an illusion, um, our industry of creating an illusion that the tech is good enough. Um, and just on this, there's a great little thing we should all try. Um, it's called the illusion of knowledgeable depth. It's a, it's a heuristic. It's a, it's a shortcut human beings take. And uh, I, visually, if you imagine uh, how a bike works. Now, when you ask people how a bicycle works, you get some really interesting views because people say, well, I've ridden a bike since as a child. I ride to work. I, I, you know, I know how a bike works. And then you ask them to rate themselves on a score, let's say one to ten. Uh, and a lot of people say, well, probably seven or eight because, yeah, I've, I've had 30 years experience of riding a bike. I know how the brakes work and the pedals work. And then you ask them to visualize it. And this is the first step of changing people's mindsets. As soon as you ask them to draw a picture of a bike, they don't have to be fantastic high-res pictures, but just a simple picture, things start to go wrong. And I've done this now with leadership groups as an exercise, just to almost like an icebreaker for design thinking. And people draw a bike on a, on a, on a post-it note and you look at them and you say, okay, how would you say you rate your knowledge now? And they'll go, oh, I'm still quite high, you know, I'm confident. Well, where's the chain? What about the pedals? There's no handlebars because people's interpretation of what they think they know. And then when you ask them, how important the pedals are for the mechanism of a bike, they don't quite understand. And then they re-rate themselves five minutes later, and they're usually much more humble, and they'll say, it's a two. And then you then say, okay, our problem is now getting toilet rolls to people in X, Y, and Z. How do we do that then? Because the regional view you had was, oh, we'll just get loads of trucks, we'll fill them up with toilet rolls, and we'll send them out. 
Uh, and that's what I love about design thinking because it just level sets people. And so if you're, if you're interested, you should try the, uh, the illusion of knowledgeable depth. Things I wanted to ask you, actually, um, Paul, is the importance of having a, a sponsor. Um, and what I mean by that is actually going straight to the customer or, or having the customer involved in the conversation. And when I led uh, partner programs at Citrix, one of the things that I always insisted on before we rolled out any kind of program for them is that we actually got a focus group together and we sat in a room with the partner themselves and we presented things to them and they said, that's not going to work. That's a load of rubbish. I can't use that. And would you call that design thinking or am I just thinking that I, I you know, I didn't use design thinking? No, absolutely. I, I, I think it's been around for a while. This is not new. So uh, I think it's like everything we have in life. We tend to reinvent things and it suddenly becomes the, the latest thing. Um, sounds exactly right. Um, and I think the most important thing is with the sponsored user, um, they have to stay involved in the process all the way through. There's a lot of organizations will have, let's call them, uh, you, you mentioned focus groups or user groups or things, and they tend to invite the user in and then they go away and they build the design and they work on it. Then they bring them back in and show them. The most successful design thinking approaches is where the sponsored user stays through it through the entirety. And that's why it's so agile, because you yeah. could do this in a day. You could do it in an hour. I've seen some amazing design thinking sessions done in an hour because they've got the person that they need to solve the problem for and they take them through them in an incredibly agile way. I've equally seen it take months. But the most important thing is that sponsored user that you talked about stays throughout the process. And that's why the virtual technology we're using right now and everybody's using more of makes it so easy to do that. You don't have to drag them into a building and transfer them to a city to go to a workshop. You can do it virtually. So as these things start to converge, that's why design thinking is becoming more and more interesting because you can do it over any of the tools that we use today. And there's so many of them. And Vicky and I were talking about them and they're popping up all over the place about collaboration tools. So absolutely right, John. That's exactly how I would say it. No, and that's a great tip because you're absolutely right. You know, back in the day, the focus groups were physical. So trying to organize yeah. everybody's diary to get them all to fly over to the UK or to the Netherlands or wherever was really tough. And their, their time commitment as well to that. But if you scheduled them into a project and, and, and brought them into that project and said, you are, I'm going to only require an hour of your time every month to check in on you, whether we're doing the right thing. That's a, a fantastic way of doing it. And I think, and I think being agile is, is you know, uh, about um, just, you know, finding the lowest common denominator to fix the problem. And, you know, prior to IBM, when I worked in the construction industry, um, they put a ban on travel. Um, and the ban on travel was because Europe was going through a recession. So no travel. And my job was looking after um, lots of people in Europe and I couldn't travel anymore. Um, so lowest common denominator was a post-it note for me. Um, and I tried with my teams to communicate with them, uh, calls, emails, and we weren't getting a lot of success. Um, things weren't happening and I was getting pretty much beaten up by the, the uh, managing board. So uh, out of sheer frustration, um, I uh, captured all of the problems that all of the countries were having with their systems that we all knew and we couldn't solve. Some of them were very low. Um, and I replicated them on the wall in my uh, study and took a photograph and sent it to all of my people 
with no instruction whatsoever. It literally was, here's a picture of what I see, and you see the same thing. But they all saw everyone else's problems. Um, anyway, I sent it out on a Saturday. And on the Sunday, um, because the Middle East is a, it's a working day, uh, my colleague Vinu, who I remember him well in Bahrain, sent the picture back to everyone again. But this time, he'd actually gone and fixed the problems that he, for some reason, hadn't fixed for months. But took a picture and replicated all of the post-it notes on the wall in his office. So he took time to write down the problems they're having in Germany and in Spain and Italy and sent it around because immediately Vinu thought it was a game. And by the Wednesday, we'd had about 10 different pictures go around the organization and 90% of the problems were fixed. And I hadn't spoken to anyone. I'd literally visualized it on a post-it note and sent it around. That to me is, is design thinking. And, and I think it's encouraging that all the time, low cost, low fidelity, um, getting things done is really where we want to start with this. Yeah, and and I've got to jump in here. I'm obviously very excited about this pro this topic because usually I, I don't tell. talk much. I usually don't say very much. <laughs> That's like, not what I heard. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> the point I was going to make there, Paul, is you doing that that post-it note mm. um, wall, so to speak, and sending yeah. it to people without any narrative meant that because of all those people in that team had different personalities and different approaches like we always talk about the fact that everybody has a different personality and therefore it's important to listen to all of their perspectives they all came back to you with their particular perspective on what the problem was and then collectively I presume then you're able to get all of that together to come out with a, uh, a, a yeah a collective result yeah, absolutely. And one thing I think I found from that is that I've been trying as a leader, uh, I've been trying to find a way to get my team to solve problems. And, and uh, truthfully, I hadn't been that successful. And I thought by flying to Munich or flying to Stockholm and, and sitting in a room face to face and sort of telling them what to do, it was the only way to do it. And so I and because circumstances changed for me because I couldn't fly anymore, um, I challenged my, uh, my bias uh, and just gave them a chance to look at the problems another way. And when I did that, it worked. Now, of course, the problem with that then is sustaining it. But that's what leadership's about, isn't it? Every, every time you need to find another way to do things. And I think organizations are going through that problem. And visualizing is the most important thing from design thinking. Is when you write it down in the strategy documents or a PowerPoint deck, it looks okay. But sometimes a human being, as we all know, you know, the confirmation biases is, yeah, I read it. Yeah, I read your uh, report and I read that. Uh, yeah, I looked at the slides and, ah, uh, yeah, really good. And they, they agree with you. And you go away thinking, good, we're, we're going to make some changes here. But when you actually ask them to visualize it, and that's why the post-it note as a frame is such a simple tool, um, it really opens people's minds. Um, it doesn't have to be post-it notes as well. It's not just about that, but they are quite easy to use. Um, you just have to find a way to level set people's ability to tell a story and visualize it. And uh, that's got to be job one for an organization. And some organizations do this really, really well, I know. Others, certain sectors probably struggle. That, what that has just made me think about is we, we recorded a podcast a, a little while ago that we've, we've not... Um, put out yet but that we were talking about the importance of clarity and checking back in and what you've just been talking about there that visualizing quite often you can have a meeting and you walk out of the meeting and you think you know 
what 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 you've agreed but so often there's still ambiguity and maybe that is a way to get better clarity because when when we do our assessments with the teams that we work with alignment is always the one that scores the lowest yep yep and I, and it's because people don't have clarity in how it holds organizations back and sure we were talking earlier didn't you have a, a question about alignment and was it feedback or checking in or what was that there's something that i believe in the process or the method that's called playback yeah and that uh, am i right or i'm yeah. not i'm not as stupid as i'm blonde looking then that's good um, and, <laughs> and that that is all about alignment maybe you could just explain that to us a bit paul because i think that's interesting. absolutely so i mean every we have lots of different terminologies in and in, in our organization we design things but playback is actually as Vicky said, is just checking back with people. Is this what you meant? Um, not, not making the assumption that we've asked a number of questions. We know what you meant. It's to, in an agile way, just checking back. Is that what you meant? And that's done by asking questions with people. And that's why design thinking as a, a history of process and keeping people together makes it work. Because as soon as people leave the room and they default to email or reading in the, the notes or the minutes and, uh, as, as a way of checking, people don't do that anymore. Um, so playback is absolutely, is that what you meant? And that's why visualizing the problem at the start makes it work better. Because suddenly you say, no, that's not what I meant. I didn't mean that button there. I didn't mean that over there. I wanted this. And, you know, that's, that's core. And, and you're right, Sharon, that's what we've been doing for decades. Why design thinking is relevant now more than perhaps it was before is that we've now realized more than ever that the world is, needs to be human-centric. Uh, and we absolutely need to take a bit of a breath to listen to what people want. And we haven't done that for decades. We've got carried away with ourselves. And design thinking is a level check. It's a chance to go back and just make sure we're doing the right thing. Brilliant. Thank you for that. So maybe to, to summarize, to wrap up, you could give us a couple of sort of practical tips for where, where people can start with this stuff if, it, if it's entirely new to their organization. Yeah, I mean, what I would say, the other thing I think is really interesting and as, a, as a tip, possibly, is um, things come in threes more than we think. And the power of three and design thinking, I think, is quite an interesting thing. So the power of three, we all use it in our day-to-day -day lives. You know, bronze, silver, gold, three is a quite an interesting number for us. And organizations tend to have 10 objectives and so many different ways of doing things. If you can keep what you're talking about into the power of three, interesting things happen. So the three things that I would say um, that come out of something like design thinking, and we talked about it, is someone in your organization at the top needs to be on board with this. Uh, they have to be a design executive, you know, the chief design officer. And I don't mean by formal title, but someone who's on side, because without that, things tend not to happen. So that's, that's job one. Job two is find a problem. And I don't think we've shortage of problems right now. Find a problem that you've got to fix. It might be a really difficult problem, perfect for design thinking. And then think about all of the people who have a stake in that problem. And again, more and more people in organizations who didn't think they had a relationship because they've worked in a different function are now mashed together trying to help solve problems. So find a problem, get all the right people. And then the third thing is have an attitude or a mindset to 
uh, create loads of ideas, fail fast, uh, re review, playback, you know, just get things done, fail, um, prototype, get ideas up and running really quickly. Don't make it become a long, long process. Um, so I think they're the three things that I would say an organization should do. That's brilliant. Thank you. Really, really insightful. Um, Shah, you uh, missed out your favorite section in the last one that we recorded. So perhaps <laughs> it's time to hand over to you for Hero Time. Hero Time, yes. Paul, you may or may not have heard of Hero Time. Um, and I have to say every time in case there is somebody who hasn't uh, listened to the, our podcast, Get Amplified, before. Um, so Hero is about making you the hero or the client the hero um, and not making us the hero. And our, uh, our little um, stick man, our logo, our brand for the Amplified Group um, is called Hero. So what we do at the end of every podcast we do um, to, to just, you know, get an insight into uh, who your hero might be is to ask that very question. So I might be putting you on the spot. I hope I'm not. But if you could maybe share with us who your hero is. Yeah, I, I must admit, I did know this uh, and I had the I had probably a default you know, answer, you know, coming out of this. But actually, as we've been talking and I mentioned him on the call, um, the person, Vinu, Vinu George, uh, worked for a company, may still there, based in Bahrain. And he was the person who was my hero. And you can tell he still is my hero because I still tell the story of how he took my post-it note picture, sat in his office in Bahrain without any instruction whatsoever and worked out what was needed. Uh, and, and I tell you why he's my hero as well, because not long after that, he rang me when I was in Tesco's on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, when he rang me, I could hear this noise in the background. And I said, Vinu, what's that noise? And he said, it's gunfire. And I said, okay, well, what's going on? He said, oh, well, there's a, uh, uh, it's all kicking off outside, outside the office in Bahrain. And there's a bit of a revolution going on. And uh, I'm ringing you for permission to leave the office. Um, and, and he just struck me now, I haven't talked to you about that Vinu probably is my hero because not only did he translate my message as a leader and actually kickstart in my world at the time, a, a monumental shift in what I had to deliver, but also he stuck to his post. <laughs> and, uh, and yet I was in a Tesco's uh, thousands of miles away. So yeah, I would say not that anyone will know who Vinu George is. That doesn't matter. He is my hero. Brilliant. Thank you, Paul. That was really useful and really insightful. And I love the, the sound of Vinu. What a, what a guy. That's fantastic. <laughs> so all, all it remains is for me to say thank you for listening to Get Amplified from the Amplified Group. If you liked it, please be sure to subscribe and we'll see you next time.